So uh, we're at the end, actually, of a, a couple of months. I think it was September we started uh, uh, working through a, a, the book of Ephesians. And uh, uh, hopefully, there's been lots of uh, specific messages towards the end of Ephesians, but the whole idea that Paul wants to get across in Ephesians is fairly is, is simple yet profound. And it is that, that we are saved, we are brought, we are made right with God, we are brought back to God by grace alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is his message. So it's not one of those letters like to uh, the Galatians or Corinthians where there was bad things going on in the churches, heresies, wrong teachings. He's saying in his letter, this is it, this is it guys, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And in this chapter, which is actually chapter 3, we've done the other chapters, it's one of the climactic passages where Paul just steps back and says, it's a mystery, it's a mystery. So Paul, this is Paul who's, who has great learning, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a scholar of scholars, in matters of the law, unquestionable, beyond all his peers. And he steps to one side at this point and says, this is a mystery. I don't understand this. He's great learning. He's pushed to one side. So our, our idea uh, today will simply be the mystery of Christ. Well, I'm going to go through some of that passage that Scott read. It's not an easy passage, so I'll break it up with a few comments, just the first part of it. Okay, so this is for this reason. For what reason? Well, in Ephesians 2, the, the previous passage, Paul talks about that we are no longer aliens and foreigners. We are brought into God's family. That's for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul is saying, I'm like the administrator of this grace. I'm the one tasked with giving it out, with making you understand, with making sure you get the details of this. Surely you've heard about this, he says. That is, this mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations. Previously, it was confusing. Previously, people didn't know about this. Or as the writer to the Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets at many times and in different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken by his son. In the past... It was okay to be confused about these things. In the past, people didn't get it. They had bits of prophecy, bits of history, events in the life of ancient Israel. What did it mean? In the past, God spoke at many times and in different ways, but in these last days, he has spoken by his Son, whom he made heir of all things, says the writer to Hebrews in chapter 1. So it was not made known to people in the other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and people. Again, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are heirs together with Israel, the Jews, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So this is the mystery that we are brought together, whether whether you knew God before or not, whether you were part of Israel or not, whether you were a Jew or not, we are brought together in Christ before God. We are acceptable, made acceptable to God. And then finally... I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, 
the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone, again, the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So there's he, he, later on he will write to the Colossians in chapter 2 again about this mystery which has been hidden for ages and generations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He will come back to this mystery. But he uses the phrase, this mystery, many, many more times than in any other letter or any other passage. So we get the point then, Paul, okay? There is a mystery here, and, you, and it's an impressive mystery. It's a profound mystery. There is no fathomable explanation for the extent of God's love, whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew, whether you kept the law or not. Or as Wesley will later comment, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies." Wesley, in writing that great hymn, which we'll talk about later as well, says, this is impossible. How can the undiable die? How does that work? It's a mystery. So, what is this mystery specifically? Again, what is the mystery that Paul is going on about again and again and again in chapter 3? This mystery is that all people can be brought back to God through Christ. All people, whatever their background, whatever their previous beliefs, can be brought together to God, through Christ. This is the gospel. It is simple and yet confounding. It's the treasure that we, that we seek to find. It's the pearl of great price. So today's big idea is, in a way, very simple. It's just, let's think about that idea of God as mystery. Paul says it's worth stepping aside from all his great learning, all the things he's known, just reflecting on this idea of God as mystery, and also faith, therefore, as mystery. Because if God is mystery, then our faith, in many ways, is also a mystery. Let's have a look. How is your faith? How is your faith today? How has it been over the years? Has it changed? Or is it fixed? It's okay for faith to change. It's actually a good thing. In the same way that uh, sometimes it's good to step back and assess our faith, as we might do other aspects of our life. We might step back and uh, assess our career. Where am I in my career and what have I done and and what does it mean and what what might I do next? Or even our, our home or our garden, we might step back and assess it. What's going on here? Let's just take a look at it for a minute positively, critically, but positively. It's not a bad thing to do. Oops, sorry. So the sort of questions we might ask is, where has my faith been? Has it changed up to today? Where might it go next? Has my faith got stuck somewhere? Do I feel stuck and I'm not really? Don't think it's going anywhere. Or do I really have doubts in my faith, which I struggle with? These are real questions. Let's talk about them. I want to tell you, uh, lots of people have written about the nature of faith. Uh, Some very well. uh, Some people say there are many steps, many stages of faith, seven stages of faith. But actually there are, if we simplify it down, there are three types of faith or three stages in our faith. And I think you will recognize all of these in your own faith. So it's not theoretical. I, I believe you will see this in your own life, in your own faith. There is... What, what we can call infant faith or childlike faith, institutional faith. There is adolescent or critical faith, questioning faith. And there is adult faith or faith as mystery, faith as a mystery. And I would ask you to hold off from the idea that this is all about age, how old you are. This is, it, it, we'll come back to that. Can be, 
But let's just hold off on that idea and just think about these three ways that we believe, that you believe. That's why you're here today. You have faith. So let's look at this one first. Infant faith. This is where, this is where we just have pure trust. We want to belong. We have the faith of our parents, of our brothers and sisters, of our teachers, because we want to be part of their group. We want to belong to a group together. Uh, I put here swimming pools and new shoes. So when my daughters were small, one at a, one at a time, or sometimes more than that, we'd perhaps be in the swimming pool, and uh, they'd jump off the edge, into, and I'd catch them. Sometimes I had to race over to catch them, because the, they, their confidence was so great. But when they jumped off the edge, they didn't think, actually, I can't swim, I can barely walk. They didn't think, actually, there's a force due to gravity that will pull me down. What about that? They didn't think, actually, the water's quite deep. They just thought, this is my daddy. He's the one who takes me to McDonald's. I know him. Let's go. And that is a kind of childlike faith. You just trust. Uh, You've heard, and we have simple prayers. Thank you for my new shoes. I'm sure you've heard that. Or thank you for my new train set. Genuine prayers, but simple prayers. It's a simple faith, isn't it? We learn things by heart. We learn prayers by heart, stories of the Bible, action songs, nursery songs. And we generally accept the answers, answers that are given to us. We accept what people say to us on, regarding faith. We believe that without really questioning it. And we have a sense that there's a deal with God. There's a kind of a deal that uh, it's fair. God is fair. And if I do this, then you will do that, Lord. And if I do these things... You will help me with this and you will bless me in this way. That's the deal. That's, our, that's the kind of a, a childlike or an infant faith. So then let's move on to this idea of uh, adolescent or critical faith. And just as teenagers or young adults do, we also can find ourselves at different stages of our life asking questions, seeking meaning. At this stage of our faith, uh, we have hard questions because our faith has to be owned it has to become relevant to me now. I no longer believe because you believe, Daddy or Mummy. I, I need to find this out for myself. It's no longer enough just that the people around me believe. I have to own this or it's not real. It's not real. We ask critical questions and we'll talk about this and the church needs to answer them and we need to not avoid them. The hard questions. Sometimes we can avoid them but As a church, we must not shy away from critical questions. We do that sometimes because we might feel let down by God. We might feel disappointed. Why didn't God do that? Why is God allowing this to continue to happen? And sometimes the way we deal with it in in churches, in groups, is we'll just, let's not talk about it. Because we don't know. But we we need to face these questions. It's a risk to face such questions. But if we don't face them we never allow these questions to surface, if we never bring them up to each other and to God, then actually God isn't part of your real life. God is something that you do on Sunday morning or five minutes a day, but not not about real life. Real life is tough. It's where I get hurt. It's where where my my loved one is dying. And, And if we're not careful, that can happen and God can just become a hobby, a kind of a mascot or a badge that we wear to show people we're a Christian, but it's not real. Or as someone once said in regard to young people, religion without reality breeds rebellion. 
Not everyone asks such hard questions, but I think many of us do. Some people are content with the childlike faith, coming as a child, empty hands and open hearts. But if we, if we have questions and we suppress them or never allow them to surface or just put them aside, faith can fade. And, and you may have seen this as well. If this is your uh, daughter or son or relative or friend, uh, it's hard if, they've lo- if they seem to have lost faith. I know it's hard. It's hard because you, were, you, you brought them up. You, you took them to Sunday school. You were there. When you heard about their commitment, they made a commitment. You may have seen them baptised. You took them on that Christian camp to Scripture Union or Spring Harvest or whatever it was. But now they don't seem to believe. That is hard. But I would encourage you in that. And I know there's a number of people here who have this. I would encourage you in that and say, encourage them to, to seek the truth. Not because you believe it or I believe it. But say, I want you to seek the truth. Don't believe this because I believe it. You have to seek the truth yourself. I believe Jesus is the truth. And I believe that you will find that. But you need to seek the truth and pray that they encounter other Christians, their peers, who will tell them their story. Because people are moved by stories more than anything else, I think. That, this can be a hard time, this critical or questioning faith. And we also need to remember that actually we, we have a job as well to verse ourselves, to, to educate ourselves, because some of the hard questions do have answers. Some of the hard questions do have answers. You know, not, not often, often not the answers we expect. A few weeks ago, we asked the question briefly, where is God in time of war? Where, where was God when that war happened? We didn't deal with it in detail, but we said actually God is present in ways we don't expect. Through the single selfless act, God can be present. Through the grace that goes on in the background, regardless, God is present. Not in the ways we expect. So there are answers to some questions. But in other questions, there aren't answers. There aren't answers given to us in this world as to why my loved one is suffering. Why have I still not been able to find, find work after so long and so many years? Why is God allowing that to happen in, in Yemen or wherever it is? Some questions don't have answers in this world. So what do we do about those? First of all, we recognize it's not a sin to have questions about God and God's presence, God's actions. It's not a sin to have doubts. It's just human. It's just real. To question things is just real. That's how we are. Think, for example, somebody once said... The definition of courage. Courage isn't um, the complete lack of all fear. Courage is not the complete lack of all fear. Courage is doing the right thing even in the face of fear. Even when I'm scared. That's courage. So in the same way, faith isn't the complete lack of all, of all doubts. Faith is, I'm going to trust the one I know that I've known even when there is that niggling doubt, even when there's that question I can't answer. That's faith. It's not a complete lack of hard questions or doubts. And we can be encouraged. We know through the Bible, from Old Testament through to the end of the New Testament, there are doubters and questioners. Some of them are quite surprising. This is my favourite. At the right of the end of Matthew 28, there's this great commission, which we often talk about, but we don't talk about this bit. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. 
I think, gosh, these are the 11 disciples, the disciples minus Judas, who were with Jesus for three years. They've seen him. They've heard him. They've heard the Sermon on the Mount. They saw him heal Bartimaeus. They saw him feed 5,000 people with a lunchbox. They saw him bring Lazarus back to life. For goodness sakes, they saw him die on a cross and come back to life. And they doubt? Well, if they can doubt, it's okay to have these questions. Because these are the people that God used with their doubts to build a worldwide movement of over two billion people that we now call the church. And even Jesus had questions, really hard questions, in Gethsemane. Why does it have to be like this? Isn't, surely there must be another way, Lord. There must be another way, Father. Isn't there another way? And on the cross, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? I can't see you. I can't see you. I can't hear you. Where are you? Even Jesus had that question. So it's okay to have those questions. Winning through doubts to a place of greater confidence. It is absolutely within our remit, with God's help, to win through doubts to a place of greater confidence. This slide is empty because I did have a few couple of things I was going to recommend up there, a couple of books or resources that have helped me in, in faith questions, in hard questions about doubts, about hard questions of life. But what, what I thought we'd do instead, so this week, Jonathan is going to list up three books-ish, three-ish books that have really helped him, that have really changed his faith, helped him develop his faith. I'm going to do the same. So if you're interested, we're going to put those out on the newsletter, the email newsletter, with a couple of lines about what we think about each book or each resource and why it's really changed our faith and helped us to grow in our faith. Because we have these questions as well. We're just like you. We all need to come through this. And it's in time for Christmas. (laughs) Don't go it alone. We need safe places to ask questions. House groups are a great place. People we trust. And there are good resources. We will come back to those. But let's move on to the third stage of faith, which is faith as mystery, or adult faith. What is this about? This is where we become increasingly aware of the sheer vast complexity of God and overwhelmed by this. This is where Paul is in Ephesians. Faith is mystery. We also become aware more of ourselves. There are layers of of consciousness within myself. Even I am more complex than I realised. And there are layers of faith. And below that, I could be vulnerable before I find another layer of faith. It's Putting it simply, I think faith, this idea of faith as mystery is where we real, it's about realizing how much we don't know, how much we don't understand about God. And there are things in my life that I, 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 I knew which I no longer know. I knew which I no longer know. There are questions that I had my mind decided on about what other people believe, how their faith works. But now I'm no longer sure about that. Why? Because I've met more people like that. And I can see God's Spirit working in their life. And I thought, oh, right, okay. I can't explain, I can't reconcile that with with my view of Scripture. But I accept that God is working in you. There are things which I thought I knew, which I no longer know. Or, uh, as Alice, sorry, as Alice once said, there has been an alarming increase in the number of things about which I know nothing. There has been an alarming increase in the number of things about which I know nothing. 
This is faith as mystery. But the amazing thing is, not only does our faith survive in this mystery, in this zone of mystery, it actually grows more richly and more deeply because we increasingly realise that knowing God is different to knowing stuff about God. Knowing stuff is good. Knowing theology is good. Knowing the the reasons and the arguments and, and all that. Learning scripture is good. Knowing God, though, is knowing a person. Increasingly, knowing the person of God. That's different to knowing things about God, whatever they are. We appreciate then in this stage of faith, as faith as a mystery, the, the complete otherness of God, that God is vast, vastly more complex than I realise. That he is, yes, the God of compassion and tenderness, who bounds his children on his knee, but he is also the God of righteous anger and fury, who will judge at the end of time. He is, in fact, a God of mystery. This is often the most important stage of our faith. We need help and encouragement in managing it and coming through this guidance and encouragement towards this God whose ways are simply not our ways. Or as he says in Isaiah 55, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. At the level of incomprehensibility. So we, Paul is pitching this idea of God who is incomprehensible and yet knowable. That's the mystery. Incomprehensible, not you can't time down, and yet you can know him. Some people talk about this in some of these books of deconstructing what we thought was our faith and reconstructing actually a more resilient faith. And it can be helpful if, if we do this well, if we do this right. So God is mystery. Whatever else you want to say about God, he is mystery. God is mystery. Uh, This stage can coincide with increasing age, with our children growing up, maybe leaving home, of an increasing awareness of one's own identity. And um, perhaps most of all, we we come to realise that God is not subject to a neat definition. God is not subject to a neat definition. And what's the opposite of God as a mystery? It is a neat definition. If you have a neat definition of God today, I'm afraid it's wrong. It's incorrect, because your God is too small if you've defined him. We we can risk, if we do this, we risk trying to domesticate God, trying to create a God in my image who is somewhat like me who I can nod to respectfully and read the Bible for five minutes and more or less then ignore. That's a domesticated God. That's not the God of the Bible. Or as Jonathan, I was chatting to him this week, said, it's like God in a box. We try and box God in and say, we're hemming in and say, this is God. But if your God's in a box, well, you've got the wrong God. And we do it because we want to remain in control, don't we? We want to somehow stay in control of our lives. We hand our lives to Jesus, but we say, yeah, but hang on, not that part. That's for me. That's for me. <clears throat> but God is not controllable. He is not controllable. And we realise that, if we go back to that uh, infant faith, which I talked about at the start, where we feel there's a deal with God. <clears throat> and we increasingly realise that, that that isn't the deal. There, there is no deal like that, where the worst things in life won't happen to me if I only do these things. Those awful things in life won't happen to me. I've talked about this before, where I've said, um, <clears throat> the last time I looked, there are as many Christians suffering from cancer as non-Christians. 
The last time I looked, there were as many Christians in road traffic accidents as non-Christians. And the last time I looked, he was sending the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The last time I looked, he was causing the sun to rise on the evil and the good. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. The last time I looked. That's not the deal. There is a deal, but that's not it. The deal is, this incomprehensible God is intimately knowable. That's, that's the deal, that God actually, coming back to Paul's confusion or Paul's mystery, this is, this is what, it, the one who says, before all things I am, the one who created all things before time, before he created time itself, is also the one who welcomed sinners and ate and had dinner with them. He's also the one who would make his home in your heart today. <clears throat> he is the one. This is the mystery. This is the mystery that he is the one who, who creates the, the, a redwood tree that lives for 2,000 years and the mayfly in the same breath that lives for a day. He is the one who set the planets in their orbits and flung the stars into their galaxy. He is the one who set the earth at exactly 23 degrees so that we can have four seasons, spring, summer, autumn and winter of 365 days. He is the one who is the Alpha and Omega, the maker of all things, the beginning and the end. And he is the one who says, you can call me daddy. That's the mystery. He doesn't need to do that. That's the mystery. He is the one, the Alpha and the Omega, who says, you can call me daddy. But remember who I am. Remember who I am. I'll just read this line out from uh, one of the books I was reading a while back about when we invite God into our life and we give our hearts to him, we find he can prove to be an awkward guest who tends to take over everything, invading our privacy, disrupting our plans. He can introduce us to unwanted people. Hey, you brought me here. <laughs> and disturbing ideas. He puts our property, our jobs, and even our lives at risk. This is the God of mystery who we now encounter more than try and write facts about. So, summary. Three stages of faith. Infant faith or childlike faith adolescent or critical faith, an adult faith or faith as mystery. But here's the point. It's not really about age. Apart from the small child who will have an infant faith, it's not really about age. All a mature faith should embrace all three of these at the same time. And if you have a, have a faith, I would ask, do you see all three of those in your faith today? A, a childlike faith that trusts, a questioning faith that still struggles with issues, and a part of you that says, well, God is mystery. I can know him, but I don't understand so many things. Behold, I tell you a mystery. So our faith can be at the same time a childlike faith and should be where we come to God, with empty hands and open hearts. Not with whatever I've done or whatever qualifications I've got, but just saying, I'm here. Can you help me? Uh, this time, um, simple trust this time it's you standing on the edge of the pool and God in the pool saying, come on, I can catch you, but you have to let go of that thing, whatever it is that you're holding on to. You have to let go of it. And thanking God for those simple things. It might not be new shoes, but uh, some of these slides in this presentation, I've used this picture 
and just sometimes just looking up. You might think, oh, it must have been a great holiday you were on, Chris. I took that picture. But actually, here's where the picture was taken, outside Sainsbury's in uh, Cheadle Royal. My phone tells me it was exactly five years ago this weekend. There's no reason that God should do that except because he loves us and he wants us, he wants us to be amazed. There's no reason. God could have created a monochromatic universe. He could have created us without cones in our eyes that help us to see color. Doesn't, he doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you that view, but he does it for his pleasure. Giving thanks for the simple things is part of childlike faith, which we need to envelop, to, to embrace. Come to God as a child. God, Jesus said, if you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven as a child, just being wowed and saying thank you, you cannot really enter it. So that's an important part of our faith today, for childlike faith. Secondly, we need part of our faith. We need to not suppress those hard questions. Acknowledge them. Bring them to the surface. Bring them to God. Bring them before others. Or your faith will just become a hobby because it won't be real. And then also embracing this idea of the complete otherness of God. And the older we get, the more we realize the less I know about God. There are many more questions than we, ever, than we even realized. And increasingly, we don't understand why, but we know who. We increasingly find more and more questions. We don't understand why, but we increasingly know who, who is doing this. So, again, do you recognize all those in your faith? Or do you feel stuck in one place? Perhaps you feel, feel your ch- faith is, is too childlike. Or perhaps you've got questions that are overwhelming you, doubts that are overwhelming you. We can be stuck sometimes. After this service, please uh, take the opportunity to pray with the prayer team to come and talk to us. One or two already have. If you feel your faith is stuck at one of these points and not moving, and it's, and it's almost a barrier between you and God. So, coming to the end... Wesley's mystery, let me just say this again, Wesley has this uh, poetic imagination. It's uh, part theology, because in 1 Peter 1, we do have this idea of uh, even the angels don't understand this. Even the angels don't get it. But then Wesley's poetic imagination that runs off and he writes this line, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. How can the dead, how can the, the undiable die? It's impossible. Who can explore this strange design? Who can work this plan out? In vain, the firstborn seraph, the great angel, Gabriel, in vain, tries to work it out. Says, well, we don't get this love, but let's at least try and find the limits of it. Before this God does something even more crazy for these people, let's at least sound the depths of this love and work out the extent of it. In vain, the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths, but he can't do it. There's no limit to it. So the, the response to his mercy, oh, let us just adore and angel minds, stop asking the questions and quiet no more. It's a wonderful reflection of God as mystery. We don't get it. We know it. But we still don't understand it. And so, lastly, very lastly, soon be Christmas. This is a, a, a great time to think about God as mystery. Paul, let's just step back, wants his readers to grasp this mystery of God as unfathomable and yet easily knowable. The gospel, we need to take hold of the gospel as, as, a, as a journey that our faith is on in this life. Sometimes as evangelicals, we reduce it to, well, it, well, I'm getting to heaven. It's kind of a ticket to heaven. 
that's such a cheap gospel. It's cheap grace. It's, it's as much about living now as what happens later. It's as much about discipleship as conversion. It's as much about being, learning to live in the kingdom of God as it is about being forgiven. It's not just about a ticket to heaven. If, you, if that's all faith is, let's talk about that because there's so much more. There is so much more than a ticket to heaven. Sometimes we go on about Jesus the ticket, my ticket to heaven, we forget about Jesus the treasure here today. And Christmas, Advent, provides a wonderful opportunity to just step aside. We're going to have services of carols, wonderful carols, of nativities, of stories about Jesus. And if we're not careful, it will all roll, wash over us like we've heard it so many times before. Take the opportunity. Go out and look at the sky and ponder this mystery, which is God. This, be, be gobsmacked by the fact that this God who created all things wants to come into your heart. Be perplexed. It's okay to be perplexed by this mystery that began in a backstreet shed. I'm going to pray. Uh, if you want prayer for your faith, please talk to us about that. This prayer, though, is for people who perhaps have struggled with doubts and questions and have never really stepped forward and said, I want to know this God. So let's pray together. And if you're one of these people, if you're sitting here today thinking, I don't really know this God of mystery. I've never experienced this God of mystery. I've got questions and I've got doubts. I know, I know you have. And that's okay, you can still know him. Perhaps you pray this prayer quietly in your heart after me. Dear God, I don't understand your ways. I don't understand how things work but I accept that you love me. I see how wide and how long, how high and how deep your love for me really is. Father, I accept that you died for me, for the things I did wrong. I believe you want me to know you. Today I make the decision to turn to you. Just as you love me completely, will you come into my heart completely? And I pray for you in Paul's words later in this chapter that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp, how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, today and always. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing again. If you prayed that prayer, let's chat about your faith. Please do have a talk to me afterwards.